Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 52 through 59. What a joy it is to be gathered again uh, together in person. So grateful for that opportunity to do that. And so, John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59, eating the bread of life. Eating the bread of life. And we need to recall the context of our sermon this morning comes after Jesus has fed the thousands of people miraculously from two fishes and five loaves. Those who he had fed have now followed him and are seeking to be fed again rather than to see that the work of the power of Jesus had exhibited and pointed to who he is and what he has come to offer, which is eternal life. And we'll see this morning how many times he actually says that over and over again in John 6. As Jesus draws this parallel to himself, uh, to the heavenly bread, he also draws uh, the ire and the grumbling of those who are listening to him. And they even go as far as to ask him to give proof that he is truly who he says he is. They say, give us a sign, even after he has fed them miraculously. And they've experienced the goodness of God through his miraculous works. Jesus' words continue to confuse and frustrate those who may be using biblical language. uh, Using that biblical language, you might say uh, it's continuing to frustrate and confuse those who do not have ears to hear. In fact, Jesus has told them several times that the only ones who will come to him are those who are drawn by the Father to him. And his promise is that those who are drawn will come and they will not be cast out and he will raise them up on the last day. So here's where we find ourselves. Jesus continuing to illustrate that he is um, who he is by referring to himself as the bread of life. And to get a bit of the context, let's look at the verses just a bit above where we'll be today in John chapter 6. We're going to go back up to verse 41. If you're able to, would you please stand as I read the Word of God aloud? And as you follow along, John chapter 6, starting in verse 41, reading from the ESV this morning, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John the Apostle writes, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has learned, heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. You may be seated. That's the reading of God's word aloud. I pray that it's a blessing to you this morning. I'd ask you to join me in prayer once again. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word together and recall that you are the bread of life, even as we remember that man shall not live by bread alone, but on the very words of God, we are reminded that you are the word and that you came. We pray this morning that as these words have been inspired by your spirit in the original autographs, that you would now by your same spirit who indwells those of us who are in Christ, illuminate our eyes and our hearts toward an understanding and an application of these truths. Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way, continue to humble me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If the uh, recent weeks of the stay-at-home orders have taught us anything, it has likely taught us that we are used to a certain standard of life. Before all these recent happenings, we were used to being able to go out to eat very easily, sitting down in a restaurant and enjoying a meal with our family. We might decide that we wanted to catch the latest movie in the theater or go uh, catch a Chiefs game at the last moment. We might call this a standard of living, a standard of living a way in which we live normally without really thinking about it because it is what's normal and everything certainly has been abnormal for us. And, and that normal way of life really has been exposed. We now are made aware of that because we have been kept from it. Something has disrupted the normal. Perhaps we've been made aware of the fact that this is not normal for everyone. Certainly there are those who live in poverty who do not have the means to live life in the way that we often do. Their normal life is different. We do recognize as well that there are those who live in more luxurious ways than in which we live because their means are greater. And perhaps we have struggled with jealousy, wishing we could afford the lives that they live. That's normal for them. One thing that's true in all of the scenarios I just mentioned, we find ourselves amongst the living. That's one thing we need to be thankful for. And we recognize that there are socioeconomic realities that dictate what we may call a quality of life. Sometimes when we look at those who may be lower on the socioeconomic scale, we may say, is that any way to have to live? Maybe you've expressed something like that as you've seen some people in in poor conditions. Is that any way to have to live? Or to look at those who are on the higher end of the scale, we might say, what a way to live. Maybe that's how we've responded to that. As we consider life and living, and perhaps using the language of a standard of living, as we look at our passage today, we remember that Jesus has been talking about eternal life. And now he begins to break down exactly what kind of life this eternal life is for those who receive him. We might say these four kinds of life we look at are the qualities of a life that is transformed by Jesus Christ. At least the last three are the qualities of a life 
transformed by those who are in Jesus Christ. The main point this morning is this, and you have this written for you on your bullets, or if you're watching via live stream, you should have received that email with these sermon points. If one does not receive Christ as he offers himself, that one is without life. If one does not receive Christ as he offers himself, that one is without life. Those who do receive him, though, theirs is the greatest kind of life. Those who do receive him, theirs, that quality of life is the greatest kind of life. So I want us to see this morning four types of life laid out by Jesus in his next response to the Jews. And and again, we're, we're seeing ourselves here uh, in, in the midst of this exchange between Jesus and the Jewish people, and we would assume some of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the day that are there. Now this first one, this one that we have described as no life, uh, is quite the negative foot to begin on this morning, isn't it? But it's, but it's very important. It's very important. And it speaks to the first half of our main point. Look at verses 52 and 53. The Jews... Then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have no life in you. Now, rather than what we saw previously, where they were grumbling against the bread of life, Uh, In our previous sermon in in John 6, that grumbling that we compared to the grumbling of those that were in the wilderness when they did not receive what they thought they should have received um, from God. God gave them bread, and Jesus has already said that bread that they ate, they ate and died. It was not the same kind of bread. But now instead of grumbling against the bread of life, they are now disputing amongst themselves about what Jesus has just said. I should have pointed out the last time we looked at John 6 and that likely this is now the religious leaders who are carrying on this conversation with Jesus. So we can imagine that there is a great following, thousands of people who are following Jesus, and and certainly some of this grumbling and disputing is going on amongst them. But those who really challenge Jesus in in the Gospel of John are known as the Jews. There's always that particular statement made about them. And so we can imagine that perhaps as representative of the Jewish people, as they would have been in a religious sense, the the religious leaders are now arguing amongst themselves about what Jesus has said. They're disputing amongst themselves. The idea of disputation is different than the grumbling we saw in our last passage. It's not clear why they're arguing amongst themselves about what Jesus has said. Um, But clearly what he has said is very provocative to them. Now, if you go and you read conservative commentators on the Gospel of John, you would see that they agree, typically, that the Jewish people aren't really disputing the fact of Jesus you know, calling for cannibalism here. They're understanding that he is um, painting a picture using words. But, but their, their dispute is, what does he exactly mean? And this actually kind of rises into a, a, a full-on argument D.A. Carson suggests maybe they are arguing about what the best way to take what Jesus has said uh, about eating his flesh. Jesus is, again, clearly being provocative in his statement. He's been using metaphor previously. He himself is, not that I need to say this, but I think you understand this. He himself is clearly not bread, right? Uh, He is connecting the bread from the feeding of the thousands to the desire they have to only have bread and not receive him. To only have bread and not receive receive him. 
And now they're missing the connection between the bread of the flesh, symbolizing that there is something literal intended that Jesus will give his life for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, as we see in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And Jesus uh, tells them that if they continue to miss what he is saying, they have no life. That's the point of what he's giving here. If you continue not to receive me, then you have no life. They are excelling at missing the point. However, there they are standing right in front of him. Jesus is, of course, referring to eternal life. They, they cannot receive eternal life without receiving him. And he said this previously As we read earlier, look again at verses 47 and 48. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. How many times has Jesus talked about belief in the Gospel of John? Uh, Many times, and he will continue to. The Gospel of John is known as the Gospel of Belief. He has said it over and over and over again, and now he's just using words to help them understand that his flesh and his blood will be given for every tribe, tongue, and nation at the cross. This is... um, Pointing towards that event. This is all in the context of eternal life. Jesus' statement is definitive. It is a truly, truly statement, both in verse 47 and then in verse 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Well, we'll see in our text next week that the people say this is a hard saying who can receive it? Not who can understand it in the sense of intellectually, but who can accept this truth? And this is a so-called hard saying of Jesus because of that. And it's hard to accept, as we will see next week. But even Jesus ascribes a spiritual meaning to this. Look ahead to where we'll be next week in John chapter 6 and verse 63. So remember, there's always a context in which these things are, are said. Look at what he says. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, Jesus isn't saying that his flesh is not literally going to be given, that his blood is not literally going to be spilt. It will. But he is saying this is a spiritual reality that if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will be able to grasp. And unless the Father draws you, you will not have that spiritual awakening. I think the best way to understand this is that you must take all of who Jesus is. That is, you can't just come to him for the benefits of the miracle, like those who are coming uh, for the way in which they could fill their bellies. You must take the fullness of Christ. He comes in flesh and blood, and he gives his life for the undeserving. For those of us who are in Christ, we should rejoice for the truth which Jesus proclaims here. It is not by our own doing that we receive him, but by the drawing of the Father, which Jesus has made clear over and over again in this passage. And in so doing, we do receive him. And and let me just emphasize again this morning for us who are in Christ, we receive all of him. You know, you, you maybe hear the phrase that when somebody gets saved, they got saved all the way, right? <laughs> Meaning there's a, a drastic change in their life. And uh, there's always a drastic change. People have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. 
There is no halfway of receiving who Jesus is. He's saying, look, if you're coming to me simply for the bread that fills your belly, that is not why I'm here. I'm here to give the bread of my flesh and give the, the uh, drink of uh, the, the, the wine of my blood on the cross. And my call to you, if you've not received him, if you've not turned from your sin and trusted in his perfect life, death, and resurrection alone, is that you would receive him this morning, all of who he is. As we move on, we see what kind of life is promised to those who truly believe. For those who do not receive him, they do not have life. But for those who do, those who truly believe, they have eternal life that Jesus calls resurrection life. In verses 54 and 55. Look at that with me, if you would. Verses 54 and 55. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood, excuse me, is true drink. This is not only a new life spiritually, there is a coming resurrection. For those who receive Christ, for those who trust in His perfect life, death, and resurrection, there is a spiritual resurrection that we just referred to a moment ago that happens. They are made new creatures in Christ, as Paul states in 2 Corinthians. But there is also coming a physical resurrection. All who are drawn to Jesus, those whom He receives from the Father, all who trust fully in Him, they are not only not cast out, they are also raised on the last day. Jesus has made this point continually throughout this dialogue with the Jews. Uh, he has um, said it in John chapter 5 and verse 21. Turn, turn back to that and look at John 5 and verse 21. It says, Therefore, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. We think of that in, in, in terms of spiritual life, but we recognize that there's an um, already not yet aspect to that resurrection life. We have been raised spiritually, we will be raised again physically. Now over to John chapter 6 and verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. So we hear, see again here this, this drawing of the Father, this giving of a people to the Son, I will lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Dear ones, there is no clearer passage that shows us what exactly Jesus is talking about, even as He tells them, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He's talking about eternal life, and that He's going to give His life for eternal life, and that they must look upon Him and believe in Him. And then also... What we read this morning in our scripture reading, John chapter 6 and verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And, and in so pointing to these things, he, he points to the great promise of every believer. There is a certainty here. Those who come to him will not be cast out, and they will, they will be raised on the last day. What is the assurance that we have that we are in Christ? Certainly, we can think of things like the subjectiveness of the Spirit in our heart, the Spirit um, con- you know, confirming with our spirit that we are children of God. But what do we look to as the, the reality of that? We look at the 
life of Jesus, his active obedience, the death of Jesus, his passive obedience, that he was placed upon a cross and crucified there, that he died for sinners, that he was buried, that he was raised again. All of this is the gospel. He has ascended, and what do we know to be true? He is coming again. In fact, in just a few chapters, Jesus is going to show this particularly as he raises one of his best friends from the dead, Lazarus. Because what does he say to Mary? I am the resurrection and the life. So those of us who are in Christ, this is our hope. Our hope is what has already been done and what has been promised and already has occurred in Jesus. Jesus has been raised again. He has been resurrected and we are going to be like him in that. We will have the same kind of resurrection. What kind of resurrection is that? We will not, what, die again. This is the hope. Those who come to him will not be cast out. And they will be raised on the last day. We know that with certainty, dear ones. This is, of course, based on his own forthcoming resurrection. He has not yet gone to the cross to give his flesh and blood. But when he does, it is not the end for him. He will be raised three days later. And those who trust in him will also be raised as he was raised. He goes on to give the reason in verse <clears throat> excuse me, verse 55. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Again, we are not to see this as Jesus, you know, uh, giving credence to cannibalism. Rather, it is probably better to think of this as taking the metaphor and putting something concrete in view. His body is a real body. And his blood is real blood. Both of these will be literally given on the cross. But it is a metaphorical crossover, if you will. They will not literally eat his flesh and drink his blood, but... He will literally give his flesh and blood, and they must receive that spiritually. That is the idea here. You must receive what I do. My blood is my my body and blood are true flesh and blood, and they will be given for you, and you must receive that in order to receive eternal life. I like what F.F. Bruce says here. Quote, the true sustenance and refreshment of our spiritual life are to be found only in him who died that we might live. In all ways which his people feed on him by faith. Not only at the holy table. Not only at the Lord's table, he says. But in reading and hearing the word of God. Or in private or united in prayer and meditation. They may fulfill the conditions which he lays down here. And receive the promised blessing. End quote. That is the point. Those who receive Christ must receive all of him. And in so doing they will be raised to resurrection life. And yet the reality of Christ's flesh and blood reminds us of his true humanity, that he truly died and that he maintains that humanity throughout eternity and that we will be raised to new life in flesh and blood as well. That's the promise, dear ones. That's the promise for us. For those of us in Christ, as we await this future reality, we also see a third kind of life in this passage, an abiding life. We saw no life for those who don't receive him. We see resurrection life for those who will be uh, not cast out, but be raised on the last day. And we also see abiding life. Jesus is going to talk about this abiding life in more detail as we get later on in the Gospel of John. But here we get a glimpse of it. Look at verses 56 and 57. Of John chapter 6. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds 
on me, he will also live because of me. The idea of abide here is to dwell with. To dwell with. Those who receive him, they dwell with him and he with them. Our minds may go to Revelation chapter 21 where God declares, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then, of course, we think of the echo of Eden that is heard here where Adam and Eve were supposed to dwell with God in this way. And of course, they fall, they sin, they, they no longer can walk with God in the cool of the day. They are put out of the garden, they are put out of God's presence. But Jesus, Jesus comes and dwells among us, as John says in John chapter 1 in the prologue. He puts on that tent and He lives among us. In order that we might be reconciled to the perfect God, who Jesus indeed is. That those who are fallen mankind, whose unfallen flesh Jesus puts on, in order to reconcile us to God. Jesus then speaks of his life because of the Father, and therefore the life that is given through the Son. The idea here is. That of the Son in His incarnation is sent by the life-giving One to humanity. The only way to abide, to dwell with God, is to receive life from the life-giver who mediates this through the Son. Those who want to receive that abundant life, who want to receive that dwelling life with God, must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this time, we abide as those who look forward to the time when this spiritual reality will be a physical reality in the resurrection. And for those who are in Christ, that phrase, in Christ, actually reminds us of this union. And the evidence of that union is an abiding. It's an abiding life. Christ abides in us. And we see that evidenced as we abide in Him. Not that we are striving to abide in any way that makes our justification or sanctification dependent upon us. We are fully dependent upon His life, death, and resurrection for that. But we do, by His grace, participate in that union as we submit to His Word by the Spirit's enabling grace. And therefore, we continually abide in Him. The reality for those who are not in Christ is not only do they not dwell with God or abide in Him, They actually strive against Him. They are actually fighting against God. They are His enemies. They do not love Him. They they hate Him. And they do not desire to abide with God. They desire to suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. There is no abiding. There is a striving against. And so my call to you this morning is if that's where you find yourself, not desiring to abide with God, but desiring to fight against God, My call to you is to turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone to be reconciled to God. All of these kinds of life, of course, are encapsulated in eternal life, as we see in our final point. Eternal life. We first saw there's no life for those who do not receive Christ, but for those who do, there's a resurrection life. There's an abiding life. And then finally, Jesus reiterates this idea of eternal life. Look at verse 
58 of John 6. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Once again, Jesus draws the contrast between the manners, manna which the fathers of Israel ate in the wilderness. They died. But if one partakes of Christ, they will live forever. Once again, Jesus exposes their dependence on their heritage rather than upon God. And now as they see God in Christ as incarnated God. They were always looking backwards. Instead of looking back to see what the fathers, what the prophets were pointing forward to in Christ himself. Jesus, is, Jesus uses the provision of manna and seeks to highlight that provision that God is making through him. The manna was a true gift from God that brought life-sustaining nourishment to the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness. But this does not keep them from dying. The bread of heaven has come down to offer eternal life if they would receive him as the provision from God. And as we think about Jesus' words here, does it not also draw our minds to what Jesus spoke to Satan as Satan tempted him when he was coming out of his 40 days of fasting? Satan tempts him to turn the stones into bread. What does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where is Jesus quoting this from when he says this to Satan? It was from Deuteronomy chapter 8. For Moses reminding the people as they enter the land what God has commanded them. And what does he say? Essentially, don't forget all that God has done for you. And remember the bread that he gave you in the wilderness. This was God's gracious reminder to you that you need to listen to his words and obey his commands. And if you don't, you will perish. Essentially this. The bread of heaven, this manna, this gift, cannot sustain your life. You must listen to my words and obey my words or you will perish. And the same is true for those in Jesus' day. They needed to heed the words of Jesus, the words of God. That the longing for earthly bread is not what Jesus came to give. He himself is the bread that brings eternal life. His body, his blood provides the only means for those who are alienated from God to be reconciled to God. Then John shows us something very interesting in verse 59. This whole conversation has moved from one side of the shore to another side of the shore and into the synagogue. And Jesus takes what would be the normal readings of the synagogue the reading of Torah would have been the normal reading. And Carson suggests that perhaps even at this time of year, the passages they may have been reading would have been the passages about manna. But Jesus takes the normal readings of Torah and applies them to himself. And in so doing, there is an authenticating which is going on. All that Jesus has said is not outside of the scope of Scripture. Indeed, he himself is the fulfillment of, of these truths. So we have seen for those who do not receive them, there is no life. For those who do receive him, however, there is resurrection life. There is abiding life. And these are captured in the idea of eternal life. For those of us in Christ, are we encouraged by these truths today? We should worship him because he is a great God and Savior.
We should encourage one another with these truths. Speak these truths in the lives of those within our church family and reach out to the lost with the truth about eternal life in Christ. For those who are not in Christ, my call to you is to repent, to turn from your sins and believe today in Christ. For those who believe in him, he will not cast them out and he will resurrect them on the last day. That we are certain of, dear saints. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather. What a pleasure, what a joy it is. And we pray, Lord, that as we have heard your word spoken and preached this morning, that these truths would sink deep into our hearts, that we would trust you, Lord, continue to trust you. Thank you for the life that you give us in Christ that is evidenced by the Spirit's indwelling for those of us who are in you. And he is indeed the down payment, the promise of the coming resurrection. So, Lord, we pray that you would come quickly according to your plan and that we would be, Lord, looking forward to that resurrection life. For those who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that they would trust in Christ. And, Lord, we trust that those who you are drawing will be drawn today according to your will. They will not be cast out, but they will receive life from Jesus and be raised again as well. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.